to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Do you know that if everyone in Singapore was saved, we will still have problems? Just think of the church. <laughs> All of y'all are saved. <laughs> and we still have problems, right? Can we agree on the statement? Yeah. You know, and you know, don't, don't, uh, don't mistake uh, me. That I, I am committed and devoted to lives um, coming into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, being saved and set free. You know, but the, the issue really is what kind of lives we live once you know, we have gone through that process of being devoted to Jesus Christ? What kind of lives do we live? You must understand that heaven functions differently from earth. You know, it, and I'm not talking about the, the gold roads or the mansions or, or any of that. But heaven really functions with a different culture with a different way of doing things. Am I right? You know, heaven functions so differently from earth. The values, the principles, the culture. And heaven on earth is not a prayer that we pray, or a prayer that we just pray, but it's a reality that we get to live in today. Am I making sense to you? Jesus didn't just die to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you. That reality He longs for you to live with. Being saved, salvation is but the starting point of that journey of discovery. We enter through the straight and narrow road, Jesus Christ. But beyond that is, is white pastures of the kingdom of God that you and I are called to discover. Am I making sense? Heaven and earth is not just a prayer we pray, but a reality we are committed to discovering and establishing here on earth. My conviction is that we ought to live differently as new creations in God. You know, the Bible calls you and me, believers in Jesus Christ, ambassadors of Christ. How many of you know that? Ambassadors of Christ? Yeah? An ambassador is is a a term, it's, it's a title we are all pretty familiar with. But how many of you know that when a foreign ambassador enters into a, a land. Let's say, you know, United States ambassador, he's living in Singapore. You know, he, he's vested with this thing called diplomatic immunity. How many of you know that? Yes? Which in a nutshell means that he is not subjected to the laws, the governing laws of that land. He's subjected to the laws of the land in which he came from. And I think that's an accurate picture of the lives that you and I are called to live. You might be put into spheres of influence. You might be put into situations, environments where there are certain laws at place, if you will. Maybe the only way to get forward is through deceit, through lying, through manipulation. And that's the way it's always worked. You get ahead by doing these things. That's the law of that land. But now that you are in Christ... Now that you are an ambassador of Christ, now that you carry his kingdom within you, you're no longer subject to that. You get to be the change. You get to be the answer. Am I making sense to you? Right. And we are called to live lives like that. As ambassadors, we're called to carry a different culture. We're called to carry that which is the kingdom of God. Am I making sense? You're with me? Yeah? Relevance to the world is not becoming like the world. Relevance to the world is becoming what the world needs. Am I making sense? So we we think to be relevant to culture, we've got to look like the world. I don't think so. I think being relevant, it's 
becoming the embodiment of what the world needs, what their heart longs for. Every single person wants a king like Jesus. And it's our duty, our responsibility as ambassadors of Christ, as carriers of this kingdom, as representatives of our Christ to carry his kingdom, to represent him wherever you go. Everyone wants a king like Jesus. I'm making sense. There's a new way to be human because we've been grafted into a new kingdom because of the cross. Out of darkness into light, no longer slaves to sin, but sons of righteousness. That's really the, the basis of, of this sermon series. You know, it's, it's a new way to be human. I'm making sense. You know, it's a new way to look at life. No longer are we slaves, are we bonded to the old way of doing things. No longer are we slaves and bonded to the way the world works. But now we have been set free of that. Now we carry a different kingdom. We are grafted into a different kingdom with a different set of beliefs, value systems, and culture. You are making sense? Are you all with me? Yeah? Okay, let me, let me just paint a scenario for you, okay? Let's say, okay, I were to go to, I'll go to a store and I buy Amy something really nice. Okay, best thing that you can buy for a person, Apple product. Let's say I buy her iPad, okay? <laughs> Apostolic church. And so, um, let's say I buy her iPad, okay? Spend a ton of money, let's say it's $1,000, okay? New iPad, iPad Pro, okay? Buy her an iPad, $1,000. Gives her the iPad. She's like, oh my gosh, iPad. And she's like, thank you so much for paying the $1,000. Thank you so much for paying the $1,000. Thank you so much for paying the $1,000. And, you know, she, she keeps on thanking me for the price I paid for the, the iPad, right? But, get this, she leaves it in the box, leaves it in the wrapping, and she puts it aside. How many of you know that the true joy that will, I will have from this scenario is in her having joy in playing, in touching, in the product that I bought for her? I am appreciative of her thanking me for the price I paid. But the true joy comes when she enjoys what I've paid for. The church... We've gotten really good at thanking Jesus for the price he's paid. But we've been pretty terrible with enjoying the things he's paid for us. And he's paid for you. He's paved the way for you to live life differently. Yes, the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus would always be at, at the, the, the front of whatever we do. You know, it's, it's beautiful, it's glorious, that sacrifice, and we thank him for that price. But it's not supposed to end there. I'm making sense. The story, the narrative of Jesus, it didn't end on the cross. It led to the resurrection. And you and I, we are called to live resurrected lives because that's what he paid for. It's a new way to live. It's a new way to be human because he paid that price for you so that you can do that. I'm making sense. That making sense? Yeah. yeah? Very good. You know, when, when I look at, at the cross, I think part of navigating the, the subject of the cross, part of us growing in our understanding of the cross is to understand three things. See, three. It's to understand what ended at the cross. So what ended at the cross? Animal sacrifice, um, you know, tons of the ritual stuff that ended in the cross. What made it through the cross? Davidic worship. You know how many of you know that David, you know, he established that, that temple and he, they, they had worship going on 24-7. That made it through the cross, right? We still have it today. The last thing we need to discover is what was redefined at the cross. What ended, what made it through, and what was redefined at the cross. An example would be Sabbath, right? In the Old Testament, they practiced Sabbath as a day. In the New Covenant, Sabbath is a lifestyle. We rest in God continually. 
It's not just one day that we decide to rest in, rest in God. We rest in God every day. Sabbath becomes a lifestyle. It was redefined because of the cross. I want to put it to you this morning as we begin this series that your humanity was redefined at the cross because of what he paid for you. You have access to things today that people who lived in the old covenant had zero access to. Brand new way of living. We're supposed to go from glory to glory. If we read the Bible and we recognize Moses as a high point of God's glory, then we have sadly fallen short of where we shouldn't be. We're supposed to go from glory to glory. You know, the Bible says that we have a greater glory than Moses. And the sad thing is that when we read the the stories uh, in, in Exodus, read about Moses, we are impressed, but we are not disturbed that we ought to be experiencing these things today. Am I making sense? It redefines the way we, we ought to do life. It's, it's a new day. It's a new way to be human. Am I making sense? Okay. Let's turn to a Bible verse before I lose all of you. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's have it up. How many of you are thankful for our media and our creative team? Yeah? Yeah, I tell you, man, they did such a killer job. Uh, I was expecting just like one like banner graphic, but they just went all out and I feel so pressured because I'm like, man, my sermon series content need to match with the level of effort they put, but no pressure, Andre. Okay, Ephesians 4. Okay, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You put off the old man and you put on the new man. You know, one Sunday after I was done preaching, someone came up to me and I was like, Andre, do you know that the thief that was crucified next to Jesus uh, on that day was actually uh, Paul's father? I was like, really? It's Paul's father? Like, how, how do you know that? Like, I checked my concord, I checked everything that it's like, I see no reference for that. Yeah, it's Paul's father. I was like, oh, like, do you have like a research book? No, the Bible says that Paul said that my old man was crucified with Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, I promised him I would use it one day. So, my old man was crucified with Christ. Brilliant. Yeah, old man, not your father, huh? Old man, you are okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Let's look at the first slide again. Okay, this I say, therefore, and testify, Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of the mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. How many of you know that because of sin, because of uh, the wickedness that was undealt with in the old covenant, that the people of God were alienated from the life of God, from the presence of God? How many of you recognize that? That because of... No, the, the things that were going on in them, they had no access to the presence of God. Right? And because of the blood of Jesus, now you and I have access to that presence. In the old covenant, only the high priest was allowed and permitted to go into the Holy of Holies and present an offering, a sacrifice. Right? And he had to go through countless ritual practices. He had to go through several procedures bunch of stuff and go in you know, with extreme fear and trembling for his life, yeah. right? And it was only one man that was permitted to go in on a certain day. Because of the cross of Jesus, now you and I have free access to the presence to do the very same thing that the priest was called to do in that day. We have become collectively a nation of priesthood. Am I making sense? We've all been given this great gift. 
personal access. We've all been given this joy of coming into His presence. Bible says this. Bible says that to he who is entrusted much, much is required. I want to put it to you this morning that personal access denotes personal responsibility. It's no longer someone's job to manage your spiritual life for you. It's no longer someone's job to make sure that you're clean and pure. It's no longer someone's job to make an offering on your behalf. It becomes your job. Paul said this, Paul said that in that day, last day, everyone will give an account for their lives. And the mistake is if we think that our spiritual leaders will be giving an account for our lives. It's not the case. Pastors, you know, we are called to equip, we are called to disciple, we are called to lead. But we are not called to take responsibility for the spiritual growth of another. You are making sense? Okay. Let's look at the next slide. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. I believe this is talking about us, if you have heard Him. How many of you have heard Jesus? Yes? How many of you have been taught by Him, taught by His word? Yes? The truth is in Jesus. And the evidence of people who have heard Christ, been taught by Christ, is that they put off the old man. The old man who is weak, the old man who is susceptible to lust, the old man who is susceptible to sin, they put off that old man. How many of you know that in this life, on planet earth, you're called to live victorious lives? Sin is a defeated enemy. It is. You might not feel that way, but it is. It is a defeated enemy. And if we think that we'll only be truly set free from sin when we die, then Jesus is not your saviour. Death is. Death is your saviour, not Jesus. The Messiah has paid the price for you to live in victory. That sin, it's, it's, it's an old foe, it's an old enemy. It's done with no longer having a hold on you. And the evidence of those who have heard Christ, been taught by Christ, is that they live victorious lives. Old men done away with. Will we fall into sin every now and again? Maybe. But you're no longer a sinner. You're a saint having a sinful experience. If you identify with being a sinner, then you're sinned by faith. My identity is a sinner. Therefore, sin is what I do. You're no longer a sinner. Set free. Old man is done. Killed. Buried. Please don't resurrect him again. <laughs> right? Use your resurrection powers for something else. No. Yeah. Don't resurrect the old man. Let him die. <laughs> Which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to talk a bit about the word Righteousness. How many of you have heard this phrase? Um, he did right by somebody. She did right by somebody, right? That means that he did something right by something. <laughs> it's a relational thing, right? And the word righteousness, if we study it in its original script, it actually translates to the words right standing. Righteousness is a relational thing. It's not something that you do. We think that righteousness equals to good works. But Jesus said this. He says that your righteousness, okay, like filthy rags. Filthy rags. Righteousness is not about doing something. Righteousness is about being connected, being in relationship to He who is holy, to He who is fully right. And in that connection, we find true righteousness. Am I making sense? Here's the thing about the presence of God. In the old covenant, the presence of God was something feared, revered. It was something that looked destructive almost. If you didn't have your lives right, if you didn't have it in order, and you've to, if you were to go into the presence, you'll be killed. 
I'm making sense. The presence is not an evil thing, right? Picture the sun, okay? The sun is where we get all life from, right? Because of the sun and what it produces, we get life on earth. It's a good thing. Agree with me. But if you were to go close to the sun, what's going to happen to you? You're going to go bye-bye, right? It's a holy thing. It's a good thing. But when you go close, okay, the presence... Your lives are not in order. Your sin. Holiness is going gonna, gonna to consume you and, and it's going to destroy you. That's what it looked like in the Old Covenant, in the, in the Old Testament. But in Jesus, you know, he seems to suggest that going into the presence, being connected to the presence is where we draw life from. Is where we truly come alive. It says this in the Bible, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can then safely assume that in every human being, okay, we were created, we are designed for glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Part of our original design is to be in the presence, is to be in the glory. Am I making sense? How many of you are familiar with the verse uh, Romans 8, 28? Romans 8, 28. Right? Do I have that up? Romans 8, 28. Okay, it says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Everybody say purpose. Purpose, okay, in the original text is the word protein. Everybody say protein. And protein, every time, every other time is translated in the Bible. Is translated to the word showbread. Commonly known as the bread of his presence. I have a couple of thoughts for you. I believe that our purpose is, the mo- is most accurately defined, is the clearest in the presence. Apart from the presence, it's not clear, it's undefined. But I want to present to you another thought that your purpose in life on this earth is the presence. Your purpose for doing the things you do, for us gathering here in this manner, is the presence. We were made, we were designed for the presence, for the glory. That making sense? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. Now that sin is done away with, now that it's a defeated Four, what's the intended aim for your life? What's the intended realm that you're called to live in? What's the intended goal? It's to go back to glory. Am I making sense? I think I am. It's returning to the way we were originally created, to be in the presence, to be with the Lord, to be with Him who is holy, to be in the presence. You know, I, I was reading a bit of history and uh, there was an a outpouring of God in, in Wales in the early 1900s. And, and people described this, it as this. You know, they, they described it as the presence of God seemed to cover an entire city. And uh, one of the, 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 the more um, uh, packful stories that, that I've read is you know, uh, people would sit in trains and, and they'll be on the train towards Wales and they would ask uh, the conductor, um, how do we know when we have gotten to Wales? And this was in the days of uh, the revival. And the conductor looked at them and was like, oh, you will know when you get to Wales. And, uh, and you know, the historians write that, that once the trains pass uh, the line you know, that, that separate Wales from the, from the other nation, people will start falling out on the trains, repenting of their sin and giving their lives to Jesus. And that was the... The, the, the atmosphere that, that so filled the nation of Wales in the days of revival. Bars would be empty, police stations would close down because of a lack of crime. And the question is, how do we get there? How do we... I, I don't know about you, but when I read stories like this, I'm like, man, I want this for my nation, I want this for my church, you know? I want this for my house, I want this for my room, I want this everywhere. Like, how do we get there? 
how do we come to a place where the presence of God is so real, so felt in our nation? And uh, I'm reminded of uh, the story where David uh, was bringing back the Ark of Covenant into Jerusalem. And uh, the first time he did it, he put it on a cart, right? And they were rolling the cart back, the presence, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence. And he put it on the cart and they were rolling it back. And you no, know, the cart became unstable. And then one man reached out to stable the cart. His name was Uzzah, and then he died. Why would, why, why would you die? And the next time they tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, this time they got smarter. They were like, okay, we're going to put it on shoulders of priests and we're going to bring it back and every six steps we take, we're going to uh, lay a sacrifice. What's my point? My point is this. The presence of God was never meant to rest on structures. It was always meant to rest on people. We think that presence of God rests on, on things, on objects. But no, it's, it's always meant to be upon people. And the key to seeing our nations, a nation shaped, transformed by the presence of God, the key to seeing more of Him in this nation, okay, is when we become a presence people. Amen. When we collectively host Him, when we collectively carry His presence and flood our cities, I'm making sense. Yeah. All right. And so that's, that's my, my topic for this morning. You know, it's becoming a, a people of the presence. I believe that this is a new way to be human. Becoming a people of the presence. The presence is, used to be something that the, the people in the Old Testament, Old Covenant would fear, would stray away from because uh, they, they were afraid they were going to die. But the presence today becomes something that causes us to come alive. That making sense. We were created for the presence of God. We were made to thrive and exist in the presence. It's in our original design. I remember a story. I have, I have a friend. Um, he was in uh, his army camp and he's a radical, radical guy. You know, and one day he took out his guitar in, uh, in his uh, army bunk and he started worshipping. And we all know army bunks. You know, they, 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 most of the time they don't just fill it out with... Um, three or four people. It's usually 16 guys and of different uh, races, different faiths, and they're all, they're all there. And he just breaks out his guitar and starts worshipping. He just starts singing. I, I believe it was How Great Is Our God. He just started singing. And, um, you know, a couple of verses in, um, all of a sudden, he, he opened his eyes and he realized that three or four of his bunkmates were surrounding his bed and they were singing along. And he knew that these guys were all of different faiths. They, they, no, they didn't profess to be Christians. They didn't profess to go to church. And they're all different faces. And they were gathered around his bed. And they were singing along with him. You know, we know the words. It's pretty catchy and it's pretty easy to get. And so they were singing along with him. And, and he looks at him and then he stops his playing. And then he looks at him and is like, uh, you know why you, uh, why are you singing? You know, this is a Christian song. And one of them, okay, and his response is extremely profound. He said, he said this, the reason why I'm singing is because it feels right. It feels right. Every single human being on planet Earth was created with a desire for God. Desire for the King. Every single human being on planet Earth, no matter how vile, no matter how disgusting, no matter how much you don't like them, they are all created with a desire for King Jesus. And if we are able to model a life that looks like him, perhaps we can awaken that desire once again. You'll come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because it feels right. Come on, that's profound. That's amazing. I'm making sense. Now I talk about how the cross redefined our access into presence as well as our interaction with it. The presence was something to fear and stay away from, but now it causes us to come alive. It causes us to thrive. No, no think about it. This is such a beautiful picture. The first uh, person that Jesus appeared to on planet Earth when he was born was Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she's a symbol of purity. She's a symbol of someone who, who, 
who has devoted her life to it. She's a symbol. She's a, a virgin. You know, she's a symbol of purity. How many of you following me? Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. Comes out of his tomb. Who's the first person he meets? Mary Magdalene. Who we all know had issues. Had sin going on in life. The game has changed. Jesus demonstrated sin in his life. In the old covenant, people avoided lepers. You know, with the disease. Because it, it, it was a sign that they had sin in their life. We stay away from lepers because these lepers, they can contaminate us clean people and we stay away from them. And so they would ostracize, they would alienate these people who had that disease. But in Jesus, in his ministry, he went about cleansing the lepers. The game has changed. The presence is no longer something you fear, you stay away from out of fear of death. The presence is now something that causes you to come alive. The presence is now something that purifies you. I'm making sense. The game has changed. I remember when I was a young man and I was, I was dealing with uh, sin in my life. You know? And I remember one day I was in my room and uh, I just felt this shame, this guilt. I was like, man, I am such a horrible and wretched person. No, truthfully, I was like, I was like how, how am I going to get my life right? And as I was, I was, I was thinking about that, that you know, and I was in my sin, the presence of God came into my room. And in in in, in my head, I, I I began to say to God, like God, you you can't do that, you cannot do that. I am in sin. I am not right. You cannot come here. You cannot. I'm I'm not supposed to feel your presence. But that moment when His presence came, it it, it just clicked for me, that. I used to think that I needed to work everything out in order to get to His presence, not knowing that entering into His presence was the solution. I don't know how many of you think that way. That you think that you need to have everything work out, all your ducks in order, before you can have access to His presence. And some of you, that looks like going to church. I need to get everything figured out before I can go into His presence. That's alive in the pit of hell because your solution is in the presence. Not making sense. That's what I think. It's changed. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I want us to look at this verse. Ezekiel 39 verse 29. Ezekiel 39 verse 29 says this, Neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord God. How many of you know that Jesus has poured out his spirit on planet earth? Right? It says that the heavens parted, you know, when the the spirit of God came upon Jesus. And that word parted is the word used to describe the violent tearing of the temple veil. Can I put it to you that what you tear apart, you do not have intention to piece back together. We live under an open heaven where the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh, on all men, planet of Spirit of God has been poured out. And Ezekiel 39 verse 29 says this, Neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Do you know that you are here today on planet Earth because you had a face-to-face encounter with the living God? I'm going to explain it to you. It says that when he created man, he breathed into man's nostrils and he came alive. The reason you are alive today is because you had face-to-face encounter with the living God. He breathed into you, caused you to come alive. You know, the word that we use to describe presence, the Hebrew word, panim, it actually translates to the word face. Presence is not a feeling or emotion. It's a person. Sometimes we talk about it like it's the fourth person of the Trinity. It's not a feeling or emotion. It's, it's an actual person. His face. I'm making sense. It's like, you know, if I give you an analogy, like if I'm sitting on a bench next to you, okay, you sit next to me, you can probably um, smell my cologne. If you move close enough, you can feel my breath. You know, you can 
you can feel me next to you, right? And you might enjoy that, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a nice person to sit next to. Uh, but how many of you know that, that even though you are next to me, you're close to me, okay, you're not engaging with me. And if you do not engage with me, you don't really know me. And for a, lo- a lot of us, you know, when we come to church and we talk about presence, we talk about encountering Him, we, we you know, we relegate it to just a feeling or emotion. Goosebumps, I feel good, I feel this Christian euphoria, this high. But not knowing that presence is not an emotion, it's the face of God. It's an actual person that we have access to. Being a people of the presence is this. It's not that we go around and, and we I have goosebumps 24-7. I don't think so. Being a people of the presence is being a people committed to engaging the person who is the presence. Right? It's not like God sends His presence before Him and then He shows up later. No. His presence is Him. He is here. Waiting to be engaged. For years, the church has sat on the other side of the bench satisfied with feeling, not knowing that we have access to engage Him. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He's given us eternal life. John goes on to define what eternal life is. Eternal life is to know Him. Do you know what you have access to? It's not just a feeling or emotion. It's knowing the living God. Knowing He who was regarded as unsearchable, unknowable, him who was feared, him who was who the children of Israel on purpose stayed away from out of fear. Today you get to approach a throne of grace boldly with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. You have access to know him. And I want to raise our expectation for encounter in this place. Many of the, many times we, we come to services and say, like, I want to encounter God. And we leave with just a feeling. But what if, as a people collectively, we raise our expectation for an encounter with God? Like, like Jacob, we hold on for a touch. We hold on. God, I will not move till you speak to me. What if the people of God had that kind of resolve? Had that kind of fervor in them? I will not move until I meet with you. I'm not satisfied with a feeling. I'm not satisfied with an atmosphere that that is built because of the band and because of these people. I'm not satisfied with that. I need a touch from you. How many of you have been transformed by a feeling? You transformed or you experienced transformation and breakthrough because you met him. And what if we came in through those doors every Sunday with that expectation? I'm here to meet with him and I will not leave until I meet with him. Our expectation will always frame our experience. The gap time is faith. Say it one more time because I was told to. (laughs) Expectation will always lead to your experience. The gap time is faith. That's where faith comes into play. When you have certain belief systems and values, expectations that you're not currently experiencing, that's where you get to use your faith. Yeah. <laughs> making sense? Okay, yeah. I feel like I have you for a bit. <laughs> you know, Christine was, told me this story as a young man and uh, I love this story. And Christine, uh, she, she was a young person, much younger, much, much younger. Uh, uh, she, was, she, was, she was on a missions trip and uh, she and a few other people Jump in with him and we're getting details on. She and a few other people were praying for this girl, boy, group of people, group of people in the Philippines. And uh, it was an outdoor-ish kind of place. It was like a shed. Yes. And so she was praying for them. And uh, as they were praying, you know, um, the place had, had just, um, it just rained, so the floor was uh, slightly wet. And so they were praying for this group of people. I believe they were casting out demons, doing all the stuff. Yes. So they were praying, and as they were praying, they felt these like surges of electricity, and they were like, my word, the power of God is here. And they were like, 
gung-ho and they were like, oh my gosh, I feel the power. And they were praying and they were praying and they were casting demons out. And uh, I didn't believe it was Christine. She opened her eyes and she realized that um, there was a generator nearby and there was a live wire that was loose. And the person she was praying for was actually stepping on that live wire. And so whatever they were feeling was probably not the power cord, it was electricity. So they were feeling that, they were like, oh my shaka lava. But they were like, oh, life wire. <laughs> Presence will make you come alive, not kill you. Right? But um, What I'm trying to say, it's, it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's, it's, the fa- it's, it's a person. It's a face. It's not a feeling. Am I making sense? Very good. Okay, I want to close. I have seven minutes. I believe this is what God wants to do in this community. He wants, us, he wants to make this people a people of appropriate response. A people of appropriate response. Okay, what do I mean? It means that we do not tether our response to God based on how the band is doing, based on whether the aircon is on or not, based on whether I have carpet on the floor. I mean, like, what's, what's the point? You know, if the band is doing a good, bad job, then I cross my arms. Because I need to let the band know my displeasure. If the band is doing a horrid job, maybe I sit. I was like, very lousy, you know? And then what? If the band does a horrible job, I, I lie down on the floor. I'm like, it's like what's, what's, what's the point? What's the point? What are you trying to prove? Right. Do we tether our response to God based on how they are doing? based on how you're feeling, based on your circumstance, or do you tether your response to God based on who He is, His worth? It's not hypocrisy for you to worship when you don't feel like it. It's true hypocrisy for you to profess to be a people of faith and only be motivated by feeling. That's what I think. Be a people of appropriate response. I'm making sense. I don't think I'm going to go through all my notes, but we're going to look at several verses. Okay. Yeah, we have next... Whoa, we have like two more weeks together. You get three weeks of Andre. Trinity. Okay. Let's look at this verse. It says this. Verse? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let's look at the verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? declares the Lord. Next slide. He existed before everything else and He holds all creation together. Can I put it to you this morning that God's presence is everywhere? Not just in the church, not just in sacred places. He is everywhere. He is in all creation. He is in everything. What does that mean for you and me? It means that in order for you to access Him, you do not need to come to this place in order to access Him. You get to access Him everywhere. Because He is. He is everywhere. And the question of the hour is, what then should be our response? If I can put it to perspective for you, think about the children of Israel when they uh, charged the city of Jericho. We all know the story. They walked around the city walls several times. They did their yelling thing. And then the walls came down. How many of you know that story? Yes? All of you know the story. The walls came down. Was the city taken when the walls came down? No. It required them to take a step in. Defeat the enemies. Take the city. God is into the business of co-laboring. The price has been paid for your access in the presence. But it requires a step for you to take. You have to enter in. You have to enter in. And this is what I believe is an appropriate response for people who know that presence is something all around. Presence is something to be accessed. Is this Because His presence is everywhere, I make a conscious decision to enter in. I make a conscious decision to enter in. That means I'm not a victim to what is going on around me. How many of you following me? Sometimes we come to the church and we're like, just let it happen. Touch me. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. 
are coming in with it's set in your mind that I'm here to enter and I'm here to press in. I'm making sense. Psalm 73 is one of my favorite psalms. It says this. You know, and this is a, a psalm written by Asaph and he was frustrated with what was happening you know, in his nation. The enemies, uh, the wicked was prospering. And let's read this psalm together. And it says, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence all day long. I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. Wow. If I had spoken out, loud, out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. And this is the kicker. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. I tried to understand it. You know, I tried to put it out, pros and cons paper. Didn't work. Till I entered into his sanctuary, then I finally understood their end. Here's what's the, what the presence brings. The presence brings divine perspective. Brings divine perspective. It's, it, it takes you to a place where you, you, you no longer engage your problem face to face, but you're seated in heavenly places. Taking on divine perspective. Till I entered into his sanctuary. Till I made that conscious decision to enter in. Despite of whatever was going on, despite of the circumstance, despite of me not understanding, despite of mystery, I made a conscious decision to enter in. Some of you, you are, you are going through stuff right now. You, there are things that are troubling you, mystery, questions. And you're trying to sort them all out before you enter His presence. I'm offended. I, I, I don't know how to work out these things. You keep yourself away from presence, but can I put it to you this morning that some of your questions are only to be answered in the presence. Till I entered into the sanctuary, then I understood. You're making sense. We all know that, that, that psalm, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There are dimensions of the presence, aspects of presence that you can only experience in trials. Trials are, if you think of it from a godly perspective, they are an opportunity for you to experience God in a brand new way. Is that making sense? Can we develop this non-negotiable value for the presence of God? That I will not sacrifice that connection with God for a need to have my questions answered. Moses, you know, his whole life revolved around going to the promised land. And when he was presented an opportunity, he said this, he said, I will not go in unless you go with me. His values, his priorities were different. I, the promise means nothing to me apart from your presence. I wonder if as a community we can come to a place where like, you know, yes, I love the prophetic words. Yes, I, I, I want to do well in my career. Yes, I want all these things. But what good are these things if they are done, if they are without your presence? To be a people of the presence means we have supreme, utmost value for Him. Am I making sense? I'm just going to go to my, my last point. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Thank you. Surely I say to you, wherever you bind, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This is what I believe. I believe His presence is here in the gathering. His presence is here when we 
come together, when we meet together, His presence is here in the gathering. And this is the appropriate response to that knowledge because His presence is in the gathering. That's our best night. I'm committed to being present. I'm committed to being present. And I don't think that this just speaks about your church attendance. You know, we all know that you can be present in a setting and not really be present. You know, how many of you know people who ask you out for coffee but they're on their phones like 45 minutes out of the hour? Oh, very loud. (laughs) Right? But I'm committed to being present. Committed to engaging. Committed to actively connecting. Because His presence and gathering, I am committed to being present. That making sense? You know, Jason has this line that he says in every sermon. He says, when incense rise, then glory falls. In the old covenant, the incense would refer to burnt offerings. It would refer to laying down sacrifice on altars. But how many of you know, know that that ended at the cross? Does it make sense? What then is th- that incense that we bring to the Lord? Since it says that the Father is seeking, is seeking, is searching for worshippers who will worship in spirit and truth. The Father is after you, not your worship. I know this might ruin it for some of you, but He is not an egoistical God who is after, purely after your words of adoration. He's after you. He's seeking for worshippers who will worship in spirit and in truth. What's that incense that we bring to the Lord? It's not senseless and vain repetition of words. But it's hearts, it's people committed to engaging with Him, committed to loving on Him. And collectively, as we gather on Sunday as a people, all of us come here with that same heart, with that same mind, that we are here to engage with the Lord, not just recite lyrics in a melodic fashion, but we are here to engage with Him. And perhaps when we do that, we can't bring that incense of our lives, that His glory will meet us here. I dream of this church becoming a place where His glory dwells. We talk about the goal of the gospel often. Go into your workplaces, go into your schools, go into your spheres of influence. But we don't talk about this often. P.D. quoted it. He said, Isaiah says this, Arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And then he goes on to say that kings shall come to the brightness of your rising. The gospel is both about going and coming. What if we can collectively build as a church together a house of glory that is built upon people who are devoted to engaging, devoted to loving on Him. We don't get the presence of God by doing it like Dragon Ball Z style, like presence. No, it doesn't work that way. His presence comes where? Why? Because His person is here. Why is this person here? Because we have made a conscious and committed decision to engaging with the person. And when we do so, when we love on him, he meets us with his glory and presence. And kings shall come to the brightness of the rising. What if done so that degree that people, you know, lives who have not been touched by saving knowledge of Jesus Christ would have come through the treasures of the church. And because they are met with a people who are committed to the presence, committed to Jesus, His glory is here. They encounter Him, touched by Him, and have their lives transformed. What if we can be such a church? What if we can be such a people of the presence, such supreme value, for who he is. There's such supreme value for wanting to represent him, wanting to have this realm present on earth because a world so desperately needs it. It's a new way to be human. It's a new day. 
we get to be a people of the presence. I'm making sense. Right. As we end, I want you to turn your eyes on the screen and I'm going to play a video and it's a video testimony. One of my favorite ones. And uh, we'll close in prayer in just a bit. Can we have that video up? Hi, my name is Daryl. I've always had an interest in Christianity, but um, I was always hindered by my unwillingness to, to surrender to the faith because uh, I always felt that surrender was a really strong word. Andre suggested that I try out the Alpha course because um, perhaps I could find the answers that I want within the course itself. Um, and I think one of the main takeaway points that I got from the Alpha course was this line whereby um, we don't understand to believe, but we believe to understand. And, and that, that really opened up um, my spectrum of, of, of being able to receive Christ uh, a lot more. After attending Alpha, um, I received an invitation to come for a Christmas service. Um, and I was like, no, why not? So um, I came to Christmas service and uh, I mean, I, st I felt like at that very moment, I still had a lot of unfounded questions and um, I was still very unsure about whether I was willing to go the next step with, with God. Um, I, I remember telling this to Andre that, you know, um, if there's an altar call, I, I, I doubt I'll be prepared for it. I don't think I'll raise my hand. Um, Andre spoke that day, when, when the altar call was put out, um, I, I did not raise my hand in, initially. And in fact, I, I, felt, I felt a bit um, uh, hesitant. But somehow something stirred in me and, uh, and I did raise my hand. And somehow once I raised my hand, immediately I feel this um, sense of peace um, that kind of flowed. From the, from the inside and it was so overwhelming that um, I just started bawling uncontrollably. It was a, a really embarrassing moment. At that moment, as I, as I was sobbing, um, you know, I, I mean, I felt many people um, hugging me and telling me, you know, Daryl, welcome back, welcome home. Um, and it was touching, but it was also at that moment that I really feel that was a, an answer to a prayer that I've always been praying for, which is to have an encounter with God. So ever since that day, I, I've been attending um, church every Sunday, and even for the Sundays that I, I, I'm not around, I do feel um, a void, you know, um, spiritually. And each Sunday as I come and I, I get to know the Word of the Lord, um, it really helps me develop a, a relationship with the Lord further. Some of you might not know, but that's, that's my brother. That's, uh, that's my older brother who I've uh, been praying for for so many years. And I think what, what got me in that story was he, he came here. He came here and he experienced something. He encountered something. And I believe it was of another world. He, he had a touch, the presence of the living God. And can I put it to you this morning that that is why we do what we do. It's why we are here. That's why we have things set up the way we do. It's for that, for these moments where people who are seeking, where people who are searching, people are needing answers, they come into a place like this and they meet God and they find His presence. And His presence is not just a feeling or emotion, His presence is His person. His person is here with us when we make a conscious and committed decision to engage with Him, putting Him, valuing Him above all else. That's what it means to be a people of the presence. That's why we do what we do. Let's build the city. Let's build this city. Let's build 
this nation that's built the kingdom by being a presence people. Amen.